Welcome to the Culture Cast. This episode of the Culture Cast is brought to you by PinkPepperKitchen.com. I think you're going to get sick of me talking about PinkPepperKitchen.com because we don't have any other sponsors. They're not even really a sponsor because they don't pay us anything and they didn't know they were going to be featured until we released the first um, episode into the wild. But we managed to sell, I think, three tins, three brownie tins um, for Valentine's Day that we're pretty sure were CultureCast listeners. So thank you to those people and for supporting a wonderful local business. So even though they haven't paid for this one either, let's pimp them. They're brilliant. Um, But go and buy brownies, the world's best brownies. Whenever I send anyone a brownie from pinkpepperkitchen.com, I get a flourish of WhatsApps, emails, delightful comments, just saying that it's the best brownie they've ever tasted. And thank you so much for sending them a brownie. So Valentine's Day is over. Why not delight and surprise your loved one, your brother, your sister, your mum, your dad, your kids, your colleagues, friends, anyone, somebody you don't know, a neighbour that you've never actually met, send them a brownie. Um, Make their day. In fact, that is a lovely thing to always do. Doing an amazing, I mean, it's kind of selfish. I think about this a bit. When you do this like random act of kindness, it makes you feel really good, Um, which maybe is selfish. Is that selfish? But I think it's brilliant. It doesn't even matter if it is. You're delighting someone's day. So what better way to do it than send them a beautiful homemade brownie in a beautiful tin um, that's been made and and packaged and handled with absolute love. So there you go, pinkpepperkitchen.com. Right, on to business. This episode of the CultureCast features a lovely lady called Lorna O'Neill. Lorna's had a variety of jobs. Um, She's worked in PR agencies. I think that's where she cut her teeth. And she's gone on to work in a technology business called thetrainline.com. And most recently, she worked for Thomas Cook Airlines, which tragically failed at the end of last year. And in fact, we spent quite a bit of time discussing that business because there's quite a lot of interesting stuff about it. I think it was kind of a privilege to get an inside um, track on what went on there and how that business worked. So I hope you enjoy uh, this wide-ranging conversation with Lorna O'Neill. Welcome, Lorna. Thanks so, for having me. Not a problem. Uh, this is slightly weird because I know you quite well, and this feels a bit like forced fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite strange sitting opposite you with headphones on. It is. Okay, well, I'm going to start off with, you worked for Thomas Cook until quite recently, and that company is quite interesting to a lot of people because it failed, and it was well publicised that it failed. The thing that I find interesting, knowing you and having a bit of an inside scoop on what that company was like, is that I feel that people think it must have been a load of rubbish because it failed. So I want to know, is that true? Uh, What what do you think if someone says Thomas Cook must have been an awful and culturally really bad? What would you say to that? I would definitely disagree that it was culturally bad. And I think the conversations that I've had with people who have since lost their jobs and the people that I speak to now, we always speak so fondly and so warmly about the time that we had there, even at the end when things were really bad and then, of course, when the end happened. So I would definitely disagree with that. I think culturally it had a lot of good things about it. Why what? Well, I mean, this feels like a bold statement, but I mean, I can only speak from the communications team, which is what I was part of. I felt like the culture of our team and of the organisation wider than that, I think really kept us going. Mm. And I think at times it even felt like it was the spirit and the energy of Mm. the the company Mm. that almost kept us going longer than actually maybe we should have. Okay, okay. If it was culturally rotten at the core... This business would have failed a long time ago. I don't know that for sure, but I definitely feel like things could have been different again. I felt like we tried everything. um, And I do think, yeah, I think it could have been different if it was rotten at the core. And I definitely didn't feel like that was the case. I saw, the thing that I saw being close to you is, in fact, this was seen in the, um, I think you saw this on, on like LinkedIn and in the media, that people seem to band together 
And I've seen, I've been close to other businesses that failed where there wasn't like this spirit of we're in it together, we're going to support each other, we're going to help each other. Like that, that actually did come across. I think that was obvious to people. Yeah, and I think it was obvious to people at the end and um, yeah. when the company did fold, you could see the outpouring, couldn't you? Yeah. On yeah. social media and on the news of people that really worked for each other. Yeah. It was quite unusual for me. It was definitely a place that I've worked where there were people who'd worked there for years and years, like decades, their only job, which yeah. I think in this day and age is possibly slightly unusual. And yeah. I think Thomas Cook was quite unique in that. Yeah. Some of the people I worked with, because I was in the airline part of the business in Manchester at the airport hangar, and there were people that had literally been their only job. They'd mm. worked there for 30, 40 years. Mm. So, you know, that outpouring of emotion after is not hard to understand when those people, it's their family, mm. it's their friends, mm. it's mm. their life. They don't know anything else. Give me an idea of some of the stuff, uh, some of the behaviour that happened in Thomas Cup that led to some of this good stuff. People worked for each other. Right. People helped each other. People were very supportive. It sounds very cheesy, but I definitely, definitely observed that. Again, I'll go back to my team specifically. You know, we were at the heart of the business when it was really starting to turn bad. Mm. We were the lighthouse. Our corporate affairs director, Alice McAndrew, used to call us the lighthouse of the business. We were the mm. beacon. Mm. People looked to us to understand what was happening mm. um, externally, internally. You know, the communications team was super important. And we were under an immense amount of pressure. 24 7 mm. at weekends in the evenings mm. and it was a really small amount of us that were on call and required to deal with mm. really quite intense media scrutiny particularly mm. in the last few months mm. that took its toll mm. and i definitely believe that the culture of the communications team is what pulled us all through you know if we knew that somebody was struggling or needed a hand, people mm. would cancel their Saturday plans mm. to help on the phone yeah. or to help do things. And that means a lot. Mm. You know, I had a really bad weekend. It was actually quite long before the end. Um, it was a really bad airline weekend. We had thousands of passengers stranded in the Canary Islands. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get a wink of sleep. Uh, and I had a big interview with our chief exec on the Monday that I still had to do. Mm. And... As in you were interviewing the chief exec? I was, I was supporting him. He was getting interviewed by a journalist. Okay, 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 okay. So, you know, you make it happen, you do it. I got back to my desk in the afternoon and there was a massive bunch of flowers on my desk. Yeah. And it was from the team in London, from our corporate affairs director, just saying, basically, I know you've had an absolutely horrific weekend, yeah. but you've done it now. You'll never have that again. We're all behind you. Take the next day or so off get some rest mm. we'll cover you mm. and I just thought it's a small thing but it really meant a lot it's massive, it's massive. Yeah. Uh, and I kept that card on my desk the whole time that I worked there because I thought I've got a team that's got my back and she seems like a de- just from those two stories like the story of she her calling you the lighthouse clearly something that you remembered and I suspect was a very was a deliberate play for her you know from her to make people feel like they were you know, we are leading the charge here, guys. The, pe- the team around us need us. And this example of just showing gratitude. Showing gratitude. Yeah. We were all on an even playing field. Yeah. Um, yes, there was a hierarchy in the team, but it never felt like that. Yeah. We worked for each other. We cared about each other. And it really made a difference. I'll tell you what, a story that stuck in my head that you told me is, um, and I'll, ha- I'll mess it up. So I'll start and you take the baton from <laughs> me when I uh, start lying. Um I seem to remember you saying that there was a meeting where people were encouraged to just kind of score how they were feeling and you were quite honest in that meeting and I thought that that sharing honesty and vulnerability was a signal that actually it must have been a culture that um, like have trust in it. Is it could you tell me this yeah. me a bit of that I know, story I know what you're talking about it's about when you have to score your how you feel out of five yeah well, you were in like a circle and everyone had to score yeah out of so five. we had a comms team an all comms team so not just PR the whole comms spectrum there's probably about 30 of us in okay. London had yeah. a meeting yeah. and we started this new thing it sounds a bit American it's so American yeah. and you know me yeah. I hate all that stuff it's really not my bag and um, somebody in the team said I've seen this thing where at the start of the meeting, you go around and you rank how you're feeling on a score out of five, not being absolutely terrible, five being really good. And it doesn't have to be just about work. It could be reflected from your personal life, work, combination of both, just how you're feeling in that moment. That's what they called it, the check-in. And I was just immediately uncomfortable. You know, it's just not my thing. Anyway, we did it probably about three times over the year when we had these all meetings. And there was one, 
And um, it, I remember when it was, frankly, I'd had a breakup. I was really upset. Um, work was not great. Yeah, I met you around the Yeah, I was not great. You were, in, you were, yeah, you weren't in a good place. I just wasn't in a good place in all areas, as we call it, the pillars, the life pillars. Yeah. They were all quite low yeah. at that time. And we had the check-in, didn't we? So we went round and again, you know me really well. I am just a glass half full bag of energy. Always want to see the positive and everything. Yeah. But we all have bad days. They picked the wrong day to do the checking because we went round to me and everyone was like, oh, Lorna will be all right. She's always all right. And I was like, I'm a one. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole room were just like, oh, God, if Lorna's a one, what yeah. does this mean for us? Because yeah. yeah. I'm always the jolly one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was just having a really bad time. But when the circle was going round, I was thinking, I can't say it. I can't say it. It's yeah. really embarrassing. And I didn't actually go into why. I didn't yeah, want yeah, to yeah. tell them why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my close friends knew, but not yeah. everybody knew. Yeah. But when it came round, I thought, no, I am going to say how I feel because what's the point if I lie? You know, yeah. we've got this culture of honesty and openness yeah. and support when someone needs it. And I'm really glad that I did it. It wasn't that people eased off. It was just like there was an understanding there yeah. that, you know, if I needed a bit of time out, I'd get a bit of time out. And yeah. no one questioned it or challenged it. Or what is it? What's the matter? Yeah. What's happened? None of that. People, we respected each other for being honest. Yeah. It wasn't a criticism. I'm thinking of my dad, which is a little bit, um, it's a bit cringing, I suppose, but he has a skill. I worked with him in, a, in our family business for about five or six years, and he had a real skill of showing people vulnerability. And people actually found that that didn't make him weak in people's eyes. I think it actually made them empathise and want to go into battle for him more and want to support him more. And the culture of the business also kind of encouraged those things. He has a skill of showing vulnerability at certain times, and it's almost a bit of a management tool. That doesn't mean it's insincere, but he knows that if he lets somebody in at certain times, it humanises him, and I think that people want to go and work with and for people that that are real, right? I 100% agree. I think vulnerability is a good word. Everybody is vulnerable at times. And I think you're right, you want to work for people that just feel like human beings. You know, we've all been in cultures or had colleagues or bosses that appear robot-like. I don't bounce off that. I don't vibe off a robot. No, Um, no, I don't want to vibe off someone who's telling me their life story at work. No, I don't want that either. But I think, yeah, I I like people that are real. Yeah, Yeah, it just makes more sense to me. That's just how I am. So I respond well to people like that. Was there anything, uh, Thomas Cook, that you thought was culturally, it's the opposite. You thought actually that was problematic and that's something that you don't, um, I don't know want to see in other places that you work yeah actually back to that airline which was my part of the business just for the benefit of people that are listening I was kind of a remote part of the comms team everybody else was in London more or less there was a couple of us in Manchester um, so in the Manchester scene it wasn't really like a buzzy comms atmosphere yeah, yeah, it was an yeah. aircraft hangar with people that had worked there for 30-40 years yeah. you know really entrenched in aviation I learned a lot Uh, But it was very operational, very much troubleshooting, things happen in airlines. It's interesting. But that sort of operational culture is something that I'm not that used to. And what I found, where on the one hand I said people work for each other and, you know, it's like family, which is a a plus. I found them quite resistant to change at times Mm -hmm. and, you know, very, very set in this is how we do things here. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like to always look at ways in which you can change things, keep Mm -hmm. things interesting, make things better. Mm -hmm. Could we do this a different way? And sometimes I felt that the environment didn't allow me to really Mm -hmm. express myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, possibly a little bit resistant to change, Mm -hmm. I'd say. Yeah, I don't know how. It feels like in a business that's that old and also has got there's a load of regulation and you know you're flying people in the safety sky. first right i know yeah. it sounds obvious i'd yeah. never worked in an airline before i'd yeah, worked exactly. in travel yeah everything yeah. else comes second yeah. quite kind of, quite rightly i might you, add you kind of want to like loads of the i'll come on to it because you've worked in a technology business before uh, thomas cook where i suspect like culturally, they were comfortable with people making certain mistakes, like because it encouraged you to move fast, try things, innovate. Da, 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 da. You can't really like, innovation in aviation and having a you know one crash in a hundred. It's just not. It's not loud. <laughs> no, it, it, it almost sounds silly that we're even having this conversation. Yeah. But as I say, until I'd worked in aviation, I hadn't appreciated that before. Yeah. 
the people were very set in their ways and rightly yeah. so yeah. it was definitely a cultural change for me do you know what it's a problem in medicine there's a book i'm going to mess all this up but here we go i've started called black box thinking and it compares makes lots of comparisons with the aviation industry and the medical industry and one of the reasons the aviation industry has managed to evolve and improve safety is the black box in the airplanes and gives you lots of information and tells you, you know, what happens so that you can, if something goes wrong, you can analyse that and make an improvement. Um, sadly, those improvements are often made after big disasters, as in nobody's alive, there's a black box left, which is weirdly liberating in a way because there's no ego and no one's trying to protect themselves. Like if somebody made an error, you know, sadly, they're not here to be worried about covering that up. And it compares that with the medical industry where doctors and medical professionals make mistakes quite a lot, but they, the patients die and they live uh, on, obviously, um, because they're just doing their job. And at a kind of macro level, some of the big improvements that are needed aren't made, but it's kind of, I suppose it's, it's taking it back to big, I suppose big improvements can only probably be made when awful things happen. And all other times, everybody's probably very uh, paranoid about not making any mistakes and not showing that they've made a mistake that risked people's lives. Mm. Am I talking nonsense? No, no, it makes sense. Actually, it's made me think, even beyond the aviation point, which I think is pretty obvious, pretty clear, because of the, the, the situation that the business was in as a whole, as a yeah. holiday company, as yeah. a big trusted in, travel brand. In, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was well documented that yeah. we were in a precarious yeah. position as a business. To time, trying right? to refinance, yeah. you know, trying to hold on to 9,000 people's jobs in the yeah. UK. Yeah. I think every decision made had just a huge amount of weight on it. Yeah. And as I say, back to being the lighthouse of the business, we did feel that pressure because every step that we made, every comment that we made to a journalist, you know, it had huge potential consequences. It was unfortunate that I think the framework that we were in as a team, we wanted to challenge and, yeah. and do these things. But in fairness to the organisation, we could only go yeah. so far at that point because it was kind of damage limitation. And I feel, for thinking about myself here, I work best where I'm in a high-pressure environment, but I also am not taking the decisions too seriously. If I overthink about every single situation yeah. and think of the weight of it, it really screws up my ability to be creative and try things. And it seems like a bit of a catch-22. It does. I think you've, for, on a personal level, I think you've definitely hit on something that I was struggling with in the final months. And I don't mind saying that. Yeah. It's very hard to use your creative side and to think, not as you say, overthink everything. Of course you're going to make mistakes. Of course yeah. you're going to try yeah. things that don't work. Yeah. But we were under such, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, but the scrutiny and pressure that we were under in that environment it became all-consuming and it's it can make you feel quite negative mm. yeah, for sure. even though I enjoyed it and I loved my colleagues you know I'm not going to lie about it those last months were very difficult because yeah. I felt just like I wasn't able to do the things that I wanted to do and that was frustrating yeah so yeah let's move it back actually yeah um, the train line so you worked at the train line as head of comms for a period of time and I remember being insanely jealous. I remember that, yeah. yeah. I was just like, that is a cool, like, I love businesses where people are like, yeah, it sells train tickets, but actually at the core, it's really messing with an industry. It's disrupting yeah. and trying stuff. Actually, these are, customer experience is really good. I think the app's fabulous today. How was that? Give me some, give me some color of that experience. Yeah, it was great. And, and you're right, when I first sort of embarked on going for a job there, I thought, oh, train tickets, that doesn't sound very interesting. But the minute I walked into the company and met yeah. some of the people, I realised this was so much more yeah, than yeah. selling train tickets. Yeah. They're a very, very forward-thinking, disruptive technology company, who now, by the way, are doing amazing things. Yeah. But yeah, when you mentioned earlier that you were going to ask me about Trainline and what the culture was like, the, the first thing that came to my mind, it was just like a fail-fast culture. yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, do stuff. Yeah. In fact, the complete antithesis of what we've been talking about, it was do it and it might work, 
it might not work, but we just yeah. move on and we do the next thing. It yeah. was so fast paced. I've never worked anywhere so fast paced. Ask for forgiveness opposed to permission. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I felt yeah. like that, which is great. Yeah. You know, it was really yeah. interesting time. Um, I loved working there. I met some really smart people at that place. Yeah, There's yeah. still people there now that I really, really rate very highly mm. across the different um, parts of the organisation. And the, the company's grown loads in the last few years. So, uh, yeah, culturally, it was definitely very fast paced um, which I enjoyed <laughs> it sounds like I'm never happy but on the other hand I think maybe somewhere between that and where I came from is maybe my sweet spot it was um it was quite hard to keep up with at times it was you know you'd be working on something where you're like right this is the thing that we're going to do and then the business changes direction no we're not doing that anymore we're going to do the next thing and I feel like that happened quite a lot of times yeah. it just took culturally just it was maybe something I hadn't had before mm. and it took quite a lot of getting used to. Mm. There's a balance between, um, if you read about the early years of Google, they talk about this a lot. They talk about the time period um, that you kind of you stick to when you're kind of planning and executing a plan. And I'm pretty sure they ended up settling on a quarter because a quarter was enough time to actually go after some big, reasonably big meaty stuff. Say it's a week, say it's a sprint, which lots of lots of technology companies work in these two week sprints. Mm -hmm. And of course they plan further out, but they're focused on two delivering over a you know a two week period. You can't go after bigger stuff in that kind of period. You can't put the thinking time, the planning time to see around the corners and do, you know and execute well. Um, and if you go too far out, then actually the world, if you're in a fast paced technology environment, like it just becomes irrelevant. Like what you've started on is no longer what the customer needs or is no longer what the, the, the business priority is. There's this balance between trying lots of stuff, but if you just keep doing stuff for a week and then changing the strategy every week, you don't achieve anything yeah. really. You're just, you're just dead busy. And if you've got these year planning cycles, you probably miss opportunity. And that's, I don't, I don't know where, I've actually never felt that I've nailed that, like nailed what that is. I've always been over or under. Yeah, like I say, I feel like I've given two examples here at maybe slightly different ends of the spectrum. And I yeah. don't know whether I've, I've ever kind of been in that, whatever that perfect middle ground is. I'm not convinced I've had it. Yeah. I'm not convinced I know what it is. I'm definitely not an expert in it. But everyone's yeah. different, aren't they? You know, there's, there's people at Trainline now that were there that when I was there yeah. that will probably be there for another five years because they just thrive yeah. on and love yeah. the culture. Brilliant. Good luck to them. You know, everyone's different. You know, people get their energy off different styles and ways of working I suppose mm -hmm. so train line give me some things that you want to that you thought were brilliant that you're going to take with you into future stuff that you do that's a good question I think they were very good at sort of sort of planting a, a nugget of an idea and really empowering everybody to sort of take it and run with it test things there's lots of test and learn was used loads at train line mm. as, as a phrase mm. test it see if it happens let's do a small thing here get a focus group in there it was very agile and i think that it was not overly hierarchical with layers of approvals that i definitely didn't feel that mm. you know you could knock on mm. in fact it's wrong to even say knock on the chief exec's door she didn't have a door she sat on the floor with everybody else you could go up to her desk and say claire what do you think about this do you want to do it like that and she'd be like, if you think that's a great idea, you know, she hired, her big thing was she hired people, really smart people who can just do it. Yeah, sure. And she let them do it. So that's one thing I'd say, let people yeah. do it. If yeah. you're going to hire them to be yeah. an expert in something, <clears throat> let them do it. Because I think Trainline did that really well. But the hiring bit is absolutely, like, I felt like that, I mean, that's Google are all over that. They're, they're super hard, super, lo lots of barriers um, when, when they're hiring, lots of hurdles to get over, and then not a lot of control uh, once you're in. That was, that was my experience. But the, the critical bit was the bar to get in was super duper high. Yeah. So they weren't letting in, lot, you know, I think that if you empower people that either don't have the skills or don't have the, you know, the raw stuff, to be uh, independent and make it up a little bit as they're going and see round corners and, and that kind of thing, then it can probably lead to chaos. 100%. Uh, but because the hiring was really, really yeah, strong, I think it's about hiring. then yeah. you've done the hard work. Yeah. You've got them in the business. So I definitely felt like I was always working with people who yeah. very, very much knew what they were doing. There's a wonderful cultural artefact, um, the Netflix Culture Deck, 
Um, have you ever seen that? No. It's so, it's so cool. Um, if you Google it, it's dead easy to find on SlideShare, and there's an old version of it that I think is better than the new version. They basically talk about as businesses get bigger, um, process is usually introduced to control stuff. But as more processes is added, um, businesses slow down, miss it, da, 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 you know, big business problems. So their view is is kind of like not a lot of process. But the only way that works is if the quality of the hire um, is constantly improved. So normally when most businesses do the opposite of this, that founding core, the quality of it or the raw intelligence is diluted with every hire. Like that's probably the mm. experience in most businesses. And they're, they're obsessed with doing the opposite of like increasing the concentration of brain power because when you're bigger and actually there's not a lot of process, you need really, it's really hard, it's still really hard to navigate around stuff. So you just need these raw brain power legends to be working um, in the business to make it work. And, and I find that it's totally worth a look. That whole, yeah, that sounds whole good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll look through it about once a month. The other thing um, that's come into my mind as a sort of takeaway, and it, it relates quite a lot to comms strategy, which is obviously what I am into, is, and it goes back to that hiring thing and having real experts and empowering them to do stuff, is it became a really, really great tool from a comms perspective. We, we called it sort of the talent brand, but mm. a big part of the comms strategy mm. because the company was growing and it had such massive ambitions, still mm. is, still mm. does. Um, they wanted to hire the Googlers, the Facebookers, you mm. know, all of those um, mm. really smart people in tech. Mm. Um, from a comms perspective, I really used the stories of people's careers and the work mm. they were doing, the tests that we, they were doing, the ideas that they had. Mm. And I really used that as a kind of a PR tool mm. to shine a light on the business and what we were doing. And mm. they were really interesting stories to tell. The media really liked that. Mm. So again, I think the company, the culture of the company, I've worked places where the, the chief exec or the marketing director are scared for their staff to get out and speak at events and do stuff in case mm. they're not on the party line or they're not mm. talking in the brand values mm. and, you know, all the messaging. Whereas obviously the comms team, we guided that and made sure that, you know, when people were out at speaking events that they had the right information at hand. But again, there was an element of freedom there that we let the team go out and be mm. the voice of the company. Mm. Mm. And I felt that was really good because mm. I think it helped to really authentically seed what Trainline was all about and change that perception mm. of it being a train ticket retailer. It wasn't a train ticket retailer. It was a mm. tech company with an amazing app that yeah. happened to sell train tickets. Yeah. And I think culturally, it really wanted its people to be the star and to be the story. But if you're saying to people, um, in one breath, move fast, break things, try stuff, test them learn, and then in another breath you're saying, and when you go and talk to people, you've got to stick to these yeah. guidelines, and you've got to, that kind of, they're at odds. Yeah. So they kind of had to let, if they let them have freedom in the work, let them Hard have freedom. Hard for a comms person though, because I'm by sure. nature, our, sure. our job is to make sure yeah, that- there's a consistent- A consistency, but yeah. you, you can still achieve that but still make it feel authentic and have that kind of freedom to it. I was definitely, I'm not saying that I particularly cracked that while I was there, but I think we did some good stuff and I know they're what. still doing good stuff now. You'd nail the consistency. If, you, if the hiring process has got this filter and is looking for the, a certain type of individual, it's almost like it doesn't really matter. If, if at the core you've, you've nailed the hiring, I suspect what they then go and do and say, it doesn't matter if it's a bit if it's a bit different, if at the core, like they're at, um, they're saying the same thing or they're made of the same stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. Right. Um, okay, we're gonna move, um, we're gonna change tap. I'd like to know, and um, this is a really rubbish one, but I love it. Um, oh I wanna know something that on in your career so far has been a bit of a, a mess up. It's been quite defining. Like at the time, you were horrified. You know, you thought, right, let's end, let's pack up shop. I'm done in this comms world. But weirdly, it's gone on to actually make you better. It doesn't actually need to be. It might, it might be an education thing. My biggest one's probably to do with my first degree. So it's really easy. I, I didn't even have to think about go on, it. Go on. And it, it isn't. It, do I know it? I don't think so. Oh, right. It's a long time ago. It was early doors, like at the start of my career. I was working in an agency. I had a big media launch in London. Yeah. And it was for a like a pudding company, you know, like desserts. Yeah. They don't exist anymore. Oh, what was it called? Puds. 
Pods. With a Z. <laughs> I think I remember. I know that they sound They familiar. were kind of like a goo, you know, oh, yeah, goo yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that sort of, you put them in the microwave thing. Anyway, we digress. That was one of our clients. And um, we were doing an amateur pudding chef competition okay. in London yeah. at the Good, Keys- Good Housekeeping Institute. Any yeah. long-standing PR will have done an event at the Good Housekeeping Institute. It's yeah. kind of old school. Yeah. But you, they've got kitchens and stuff, MasterChef style. You can invite journalists down from all the magazines yeah. and do all of that. So we were doing that. We were having it recorded, videoed, doing interviews. I think we had a celeb chef. I mean, I literally am going back about 13, 14 years now. Uh, Can't even remember who it was. And my job was to make sure that I brought all the right kit that we needed to the event in London. Anyway, it's on camera. We're doing photography and all of that. So the branding was these aprons that the contestants that we'd found via like local newspapers and stuff. So, you know, amateur baker from Newcastle meets amateur baker from Liverpool type thing. Yeah. And uh, we had these aprons made with Pods. the logo on yeah. and their name. Okay. And uh, guess who forgot the aprons? Oh, got man. on the Virgin, Virgin Pendolino down oh, to London. Man. Got to the kitchen, hadn't realised. So this is the key from the client's point of view. This is the key identifier. It's like, the only identifier oh, of crikey. the brand. <laughs> got to the event and my manager at the time, who is a very good friend of mine, um, she said, right, Lorna, where's the aprons? And I was like, oh. It's, I know who she is. That's Claire. No, 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 no it's, it's not Claire. Claire. It's not Claire. Okay, okay, okay. And um, I'd forgotten them. Well, she wasn't happy. I bet she wasn't. I was on, right, damage limitation. What the hell can we do? So in fairness to myself and her, we found a local printer. We got. I went to John Lewis. We bought the aprons. Yeah. They'd been stitched and looked amazing, the ones that I'd left in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got some screen-printed ones. They were nowhere near as good, but they did work. Yeah. We saved it. It happened. You know, lessons learned. Check, check, check again. Yeah. It's like you, your passport. When especially you when you're traveling. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, don't do things in a rush. Be considered... You know, I learned a lot of just basic things that I think I just jumped at it. I, I was rash in my approach. So, so that has fundamentally changed how much you check stuff. One hundred percent in my life, in my job, even today. If I'm doing something for a client, I will check it, check it, and check it again. Yeah, it yeah. taught me the and hard way. Everyone. So there's that side yeah. of things, but yeah. there's a cultural thing here, which I think is what more they probably want to know about. The director, who was super senior. At the end of the day, he rang and um, frankly, he had a massive go at me and I felt it was over the top, a bit uncalled for. Um, I'd apologised. I'd come up with a different solution. I made a mistake. It was a mistake. And I felt like it was an excessive reaction. Yeah. And it made me feel really bad. Yeah. It didn't make me feel confident. It made me feel unconfident. Oh, young, 22, 23, maybe 24. And I got, can I swear? I got a bollocking. Yeah, you can swear. And I just, that stuck with me as well. And I just thought, I wouldn't have handled it yeah, like yeah. that. Okay, that's brilliant. I wouldn't have. I never have. Yeah, I never would. Good. I've managed people. You know, people make mistakes. Yeah. But I, I don't think shouting at them is the right thing. Yeah. I think there are other better ways of, of yeah. getting to the same end. Yeah. And I actually think my learning from that experience all came from myself. It didn't come from the bollocking I got. In fact, the bollocking I got just annoyed me. Yeah. And I was nervous and, you know, junior. Now I just think, well, that I didn't learn anything from the fact I got shouted yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. I, my learning is because I felt bad about it because yeah. I dropped the ball. Yeah. And I don't like dropping the ball. Yeah. But I didn't need to be told in that way. Yeah. So that they were my, that's, it just, yeah, it's always stuck in my mind. That's a really good one. I don't know, I'll find... I had one for myself this week where sometimes if I care deeply about something, it will come out in a way that I'm not always proud of. Um, if I'm trying to create urgency around something. And I can't think of a time. Even sometimes it does achieve what I'm trying to achieve, like create a new focus, um, you know, turn the ship a completely different way. But I'm all, I always think there was a better way. And also you don't know the damage you do when you let... Um, your emotion come out and either you shout or you swear or whatever it is there's always damage I think I agree I actually got that feedback from a boss once and I, it was fair and I've remembered it yeah. um, I think I've got better at it but it's definitely not a strength yeah. I do externalise how I feel I'm a very emotional person you know this we're friends 
I'm quite an open book when yeah. people know about how I'm feeling. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very out there, yeah. very hard on the sleeve. Yeah. But I do externalize stress sometimes, yeah, I and I think that has a massive effect on the people around you. I was called up on that by a boss that I really respect a few years ago now. That you just need to just take a minute when you're stressed, either take yourself out of the situation or think about how you're externalizing it because yeah. it massively impacts the people around you, even if they're not working with you. Yeah. It makes them feel unsettled, yeah. and I, that stayed in my mind as a really, really good piece of advice. Yeah, I think when uh, and if it's if it comes out at a time where the business is um, in distress or it's kind of wartime or whatever, I think people look to their leaders for stability, confidence. Um, do you know Def- what I mean? They're, 100%. They're, they're feeling anxious and nervous about If they something. see that the, the, the linchpin, yeah. you know, crumbling, yeah. then it just, the and whole thing, down, like sign, of a great, yeah. sign of a great leader there, yeah. isn't it? When you can yeah. keep that going. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I, I don't that. think anyone ever gets perfect at it. I think as long as you're aware of it, then you can keep practicing. Okay. So am I allowed to, uh, I want to make an announcement. Oh yeah, make an announcement. So you may have already made this announcement. I haven't actually yet. I might have by the time this goes out though. Okay, well, this is an exclusive, (laughs) a world exclusive. Lorna O'Neill has started her own PR agency called Surge Communications. Um, She's currently working out of our office because we've got some space and it's great to have her around and she's helping us with a few things, uh, which is nice. So congratulations. Thank you very much. So the bit I want to pick on is you're at the start of building something. What are you thinking of? What behaviours are important to you in your own, you've got your own embryonic business. What things are you going to do and expect other people to do if they join you on this journey in the future? What are the important things to uh, search communications? When I started to write kind of down what I wanted to, my offering to be, it's quite simple to be honest, I'm still at the beginning, you know, this is going to change loads, it's going to grow, I'm going to evolve. But honesty is a big one. I think yeah. in comms and particularly in consultancy, there's a lot of close, what do they call it? Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. A lot of smoke and mirrors. What were you going to say? Cloak, cloak and dagger. dagger. Yeah. It's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. A uh, lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of over-promising, under-delivering, yeah. a lot of bringing the big guns out in the pitch yeah. and then putting the minions in yeah. um, and letting them sink with the, the client. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think... I, I'm me, I'm a consultant. At the moment, I don't plan to grow staff and I actually just want to be me as a consultant. That's my plan at the moment. Okay. But yeah, culturally, again, it comes back to my, this is me. People are going to buy me, hmm. so I need to be me. Hmm. Um, so definitely honest. If it's hmm. not going to work, I'm going to tell you it's not going to work, hmm. in my professional opinion. Hmm. No fluff is hmm. my other little thing mm. i think there's too much fluff Lot fluff. especially in pr yeah i am not a fluffy person no. you know this You're i'm very northern very no fluff mm. i say it as it is mm. and i don't see any reason why i shouldn't do that if i go meet a potential mm. partner to work with mm. potential client mm. so honesty no fluff no nonsense mm. it's not working because that might happen as well mm. then let's change it mm. let's have an honest conversation and say I don't want to take your money mm. while this is not working. Mm. I think we should change it and do it like this. Mm. I like the idea of, and it comes back to all these examples we've talked about, right? What an amazing opportunity I have now to just do what feels right. Sure. Change things, be sure. agile. Sure. If it's not working, change it. If I'm not enjoying it, I'll stop doing it. You yeah. know, I feel like quite empowered and motivated sure. at the minute yeah. to do the things that feel right in my gut. I live yeah. my life by my gut. And whenever I've not, it's been a mistake mm. so that's really like the essence of what i want mm. my little surge mm. communications mm. to be so you quite directly said you see yourself as consultant you don't want to take anyone else on this journey or is it more that's just an unknown like it might be it might not at the moment no i don't oh, um I'm, I'm really enjoying it being me and to grow within the parameters of what i'm able to do mm. That said, I've I've got a potential little project done with another consultant. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of working with other people yeah. to kind of mobilise teams to work on bigger pieces of work. Yeah. I really like the idea of, of working with different partners. Yeah. But in terms of hiring at the moment, definitely not in the first year. Yeah. You know, my position is is to be a kind of outsourced head of comms. I've yeah. done head of comms for a couple of great businesses. Yeah. Um, a lot of organisations don't have the funds, resource 
to be able to have the luxury of having an in-house head of comms. And I think where my point of difference could be is that if you work with me, you're getting that experience and expertise of a head of comms in an outsourced way. Mm. But I can be that agile, honest Mm. partner Mm. who can really help you and your business make communications at the heart of decision making, which I really believe in as well. I think Mm. communications and reputation Mm. should be at the heart of business decision making it shouldn't Mm. just be that add-on that you do because you think you need to do some PR Mm. and I've got really good experience in that so at the moment I don't want to Mm. do anything other than that which Mm. I think is fine I've I've agonized over this because people are you know do you Mm. not want to grow like what's your projections for two I'm just not there yet and I think I just want to be honest about that at the moment I've come out of quite a quite a traumatic particularly last few months in my last role I just mm. want to go back to the things that I really enjoy mm. and to use my experience to work with businesses that inspire me. That's what I'm doing. And there is something in that. I don't, I'm, I'm going to botch articulating it, but the thing that I, that I think is impressive is it's, it's like there is, um, I think people who are starting out in our industry, marketing generally, um, there's a thing about making yourself look bigger than you are or showing these big ambitions and... A bit like the vulnerability point, actually. There's almost a sincerity, bravery, um, authenticness when you say, "Actually, I just, I'm just trying to, like, in the first year, I'm just trying to crack this, and I don't actually know." And I mean, I think that'll actually weirdly help me sell because I don't think when people are pitching, when you're pitching against people, I don't think it's a common. I think people do the opposite, actually. I've just won some work with a client. And I know that they had actual agencies yeah. pitch and I won it. Yeah. But that's because all I've done is literally just what I've told you. Yeah, yeah. That this is what I'm about. This is why I've set up. This is what yeah, I've yeah. wanted to do for a long time. I'm really excited to be doing it. I think you're a really exciting business. Let's do it together. Yeah. That's either what people want or it's not. I'll tell you what's brilliant. When you prepare for your pitches, you actually now have zero prep. Um, I'm exaggerating to make the point. But you, you just go in and say, you, you just go in and say in, yeah. what the situation is yeah. and it's kind of take it or leave it um, and that will change of course it will but it it's will. exciting it will it's good it's I'm cool. only three months in um, right let's wrap this up with a quick fire questions I completely messed this up this is my you know this is the second podcast oh, well, number two it's alright yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know I've listened back yet quality <laughs> guest for number two um, my quick fire round last time went on for about half an hour so we're going to do this um, hopefully a bit faster so, book that you have uh, most recently read? It's called The First 90 Days. And okay. it's by an author called, I keep forgetting this, it's Michael Watkins. It's okay. called The First 90 Days. And a really dear friend of mine, Carolina, yeah. she posted it to me with a gorgeous little card in saying, for the first 90 days of search communications, and I just thought, what a legend. That's cool. Isn't a, gift, a book just a great gift? I think it's a really And weirdly, book. I've very, very, very infrequently had a book as a gift. And it's, yeah, it sounds like I'm just saying this because I'm on a business podcast about culture, but it's genuinely the last book that I read. So the yeah, first it's, about, days. It's, it's about navigating, you know, leadership in your first 90 days. It's actually written for if you're in a new role in a company, but there's loads of useful stuff in it for someone like me, That's who cool. has literally just come out of their first 90 days of you know starting their own business so yeah i'd recommend it it's good and if you on the point if you've not had a lot of books gifted to you have you gifted books to other people actually no have you never gifted a book to somebody i probably have haven't i but nothing jumps out if you were gonna okay i'll flip it if i now said you've got to give a book as a gift tomorrow um what's it gonna be (laughs) Tough. And a bit, give me a business, is in. Um, you didn't gift me one, by the way, but you did tell me about a book, and I did buy it. Which one? The Agency Nomics. Oh, did you buy it? Okay. Yeah, I bought it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. excellent it? book. And actually, it's a book that I dip in and out of. I've got highlight. I've highlighted it. It's doggy. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. a used book now. Yeah. And again, that's about that's a book for people who want to grow an agency, which I've yeah, just said I specific. don't think that I want to do. Yeah. But there's so much there useful is. stuff in there. Yeah, there is. That was a really good. You kind of gifted it by recommending it, but you know you didn't buy it for me. So I don't think that's a well-written book, if I'm honest. I think it's a very good book. So I, what but I mean it, by that is it's a great book. But, but it's a dip in it. Like, you're right. You don't read it cover to cover and think, oh, yeah. No, exactly. It didn't like it didn't blow my mind as an inspiring, well-written book, but it blew my mind as it's got some really valuable domain yeah. knowledge for yeah. agencies. And I'll tell you who else I'd recommend that to. 
someone managing agencies. Yeah. Because it te- you suddenly understand what incentivizes them in a very, very clear, deep way, and then you can manage them better. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really good book. But no, I don't think I have really gifted that many books, which just feels wrong, but I don't think I have. Um, I'm not as big a reader as you, I don't think. I've read five books this year. I oh, know, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I probably read five books in a whole year yeah. if I'm lucky. I've got a tip for you, actually. A reading tip. And I don't stick to this, so, um, yeah, this is, this is what I, I wish I could do this. There's a guy called Naval Ravikant who I totally recommend um, following his stuff. He's, he's on Twitter, and I think he's got a podcast. He, um, he started a business called Angel List, which was about, I think it's about people who want to work in startups. Um, they go and register or whatever, and then angels can, you know, in fact, I think it's about angel investment. In fact, I've not even looked at it. I can't remember, but it seems like a cool business. The thing that I like, though, is just his thoughts on leadership, culture, technology. Um, he's quite outspoken on those topics, and he reads like a trooper. And his biggest thing that allowed him to consume more books is giving up books. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, when you start reading a book and it's not a good book, just stop reading it and give it up. But I can't do it. I'm a weird... I oh, I can. The thing. I've given up books. But I can't do it. And, really? And, and the, the insight or the, the gift that he talks about is... And this definitely happens to me, is you get blocked in a book. If you're in a dodgy book, like your motivation to read it drops. You read about three pages a day instead of 20 or whatever. So it becomes this blocker that stops you actually getting to your next good book. So he really advocates abandoning books, and I can't do it, but you can. I definitely can, And that hasn't allowed you to read more than three books a year. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly it's not worked for me. No, it's not worked. Okay, maybe forget that one. Right, my last uh, prying question is... I quite like um, understanding how people start their days. I just find it interesting. It's probably a bit weird. I just want to know, on a work day, what's the first kind of 90 minutes look like? What, what oh. do you do? Well, actually, a really new thing from the last couple of weeks is I've stopped having my mobile phone in my bedroom. That's good. It's a new thing. Yeah, yeah. I recognised it was becoming yeah. too easy to roll over, and that's the first thing that I do. And actually, yeah. I don't think I'm going to go back. I've bought an alarm clock. Alarm clock is the It's key. really... Yeah. I know this, again, feels like I'm just saying this because it's podcast good fodder, but genuinely, I have done that in the last two weeks. Yeah. So now my first 90 minutes does not include looking at my phone within 30 seconds of waking up so that's quite nice yeah. i've started to because i've not got my phone there just i'm never snoo- i never snooze yeah. the uh, alarm clock i just do not see the point yeah. i'd rather just be awake or asleep yeah. i don't want to be in that middle ground of yeah, yeah. weird yeah yeah but, it's um, not worth it it's, it's, it's just a it's just it's just, just i waste. get up or set it later yeah, torture yeah, you ever been with somebody in bed when their their snooze just goes off oh, like every three minutes awful. for half an hour awful. what are you doing don't marry that person I will never marry that person. Yeah. It's like, it's going to be filter before yeah. Yeah, I marry them. Yeah. So, no, I like to, I don't like jump out of bed immediately. I give myself five, ten minutes awake just to, just, you could call it meditative. I do try to just sit, just come around, yeah. just have a think, yeah. and then I get up and I'm finding this new little routine I've got working quite well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I do meditate, actually. Sometimes I do put my headspace on in the headspace. morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, getting, I'm getting a bit sick of the man's voice. You can switch to the woman. Oh, can you? Yeah, there's a woman's voice. Interesting. Yeah, but I like um, him. Just the 10 minute, just the 10 minute. Yeah, I have yeah. done that. I'm not going to say I do that every day. I definitely don't, but I definitely do it a couple of times a week. That's so cool. I've started to do that and just sit sit up in bed, sit up right. Yeah. Then I, this is a bit of a weird one. How well, detailed do you want me to go? Very detailed. I usually just go and empty the dishwasher. First thing in the morning. Really? So, so you put it on last thing? Yeah, put it on last thing. Yeah, okay. And then I get up, I open the... I, work, I live in like an open flan flat. Yeah. So I open the shutters. Yeah. And then I open the dishwasher and I just put all the plates and cups away. That's cool. I just... I like to just get that done. Do you know what? There is something interesting about that. Are people who've been in the military talk about the importance of making your bed in the morning oh, and completing a task. I've missed that. Go on. Before the dishwasher thing, yeah. I have my five minutes, yeah. ten minutes, yeah. I get up and I make the bed yeah. straight away. Yeah. Never have a messy bed. But, but the, the double act, you do, so you achieve making the bed and then you get a second uh, dollop of achievement in yeah. unloading the dishwasher. 
culture of completing another task. Yeah, I do. And then I put the tally on. I put Good Morning Britain on. I quite like it. I know you. I knew you'd hate that. I put the TV on just in the background because again, I've got like kitchen, diner, living rooms. It's all open. Yeah. Put the telly on, and then actually, usually I make my pat lunch. Yeah. For work. So I make like a sandwich. Yeah. I'm still in my pajamas at this point, so I'm just chilling, putting my pat lunch together. Sometimes my breakfast as well, because I bring that in like Mm. a little oats or whatever yeah and then so i've probably been up maybe 20 minutes by this point mm. then shower have a wash mm. get ready get changed put my makeup on i'm quite quick in the morning i'm up and out 40 minutes mm. that's good and then actually i walk to the tram i like podcasts so mm. i listen to quite a lot of podcasts i listen to how to fail by elizabeth day it's really really good mm. and that's she speaks to somebody about their failures and what they've learned from it it's that's really cool. really good uh, i listened to a really good one the other day with tom carriage the, okay, chef. the chef. Yeah. I was going to his restaurant in Marlow, yeah. and um, I What's listened. What's that called? It's the Hand and Flowers. Hand and Flowers. Yeah, yeah, I went on Saturday. Did you have the duck? Uh, you did. I did have the duck. Did you? The duck and chips. I had the duck. Yeah. I really want to have that. It was really good. Yeah. His podcast with Elizabeth Day was really good as well. Um, so I usually listen to a podcast en route. I definitely have with now working for myself. It's a real conscious thing because I'm aware now that I could potentially be on 365 days of the year you know, every hour of the day. Mm. I actually have, I'm not checking my emails until I get here, until mm. I get to the office, mm. which is what, half eight, quarter to nine. It's mm. not like I'm in dead late. Mm. Then I check my emails. So I think two big changes of late, not having the my phone in my bedroom mm. and not checking my emails the exact minute that I wake up. Like mm. it can wait an hour. Mm. It doesn't have to be at half seven. Mm. It can be at half eight and mm. things are going to be okay. Mm. Obviously, sometimes you're going to have a scenario where that might not be quite right. But if it's just a normal day, I'll do all those other little bits Mm. and then I'll do my emails. I used to exercise in the mornings. When I worked in London, I was always mornings. Mm. Um, Just more from the time efficiency point of view, it was better. But now I work for myself and I've got a bit more flexibility. I've kind of played with morning, lunchtime, Mm. after work. And I've found like late afternoon for me is when I like to do it. So that's when I'm now doing my exercise instead. So it depends on what you've got on in the day, doesn't it? But generally I'm doing it later in the day now rather than the morning. Very good. Right. We're going to wrap it up. I owe you one. That was really good. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Lorna. That was wonderful and I owe you uh, yet again anyone that speaks to me for more than I don't know five or six minutes I feel indebted to we just beat that time frame by quite some so well done and thanks for sticking with me I think the other thing to mention is um, you got it pinkpepperkitchen.com the world's best brownies I think the um, if you're enjoying this even if you're not really enjoying this but you're listening to this for whatever reason, I think that go to pinkpepperkitchen.com, have a look around. Wonderful, wonderful business, local business with a wicked product at the core. I think that's the thing um, that makes this an easy thing to promote because actually, even though we have a bit of fun with it, at the core of this business is a wonderful product and they're the businesses, they're the kind of businesses I want to support. So um, thank you to pinkpepperkitchen.com for sponsoring the podcast, even though you don't pay and you don't actually know you do. Um, Thank you. Speak to you again soon.